Romans chapter 15. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank You, Lord. We thank You for keeping us uh, in, your, in Your grace, Father, by Your grace. We thank You, Lord, that You've given us richly all things to enjoy. We thank You, Father, that You enable us to, to have a place to, to meet together. And, and we thank You especially, Father, that it's in our hearts by Your Holy Spirit to come together in fellowship and around Your Word. And Father, we pray that for all the things that are, that are happening in each of our lives individually, Father, that your, that your grace and Your comfort, Your peace and Your joy would, would fill us, Lord, as it ought to always. And Father, we pray that You would teach us tonight in our Savior's name. Amen. Romans chapter 15. We uh, we're coming in now. Romans chapter fifteen is the first seven verses or so is very much a kind of a, a conclusion of of what Paul talked about through the fourteenth chapter. So we can take a minute to remind ourselves back in chapter fourteen and verse one. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputation. So in, in chapter 14, Paul starts that out talking about, you remember, uh, doubtful things. And people who are, uh, who are less understanding of our liberty under grace and how we ought to interact together. So he says, in chapter 14, verse 1, to receive him that is weak in the faith. And then in chapter 15, verse 1, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So we've, we've kind of come through a progression here through chapter 14 between uh, receiving one another and not to arguments about uh, about meats and days and and different questionable things. Paul says if one person wants to abstain from meat and and observe days, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He if if he doesn't eat meat, it's to God that he doesn't eat meat, and he gives God thanks to the one who does. It's to God that he does, and he gives God thanks. And we ought to tolerate one another, receive one another without uh, uh, conflict and, and friction. That's chapter 14. Now, as we've progressed through chapter 14, and we, we've passed through tolerating one another, and one person sees it this way, and another person sees it that way. And let's not get all uh, uh, get all excited about it and antagonistic about it. And we've and we came through uh, that the stronger brother ought to actually refrain from exercising uh, his liberty, her her liberty, if it affects the weaker brother in such a way that their conscience would be offended. That is, a uh, you see someone who understands their liberty in Christ doing something, whatever it is, eating meat, 
The person who, who doesn't know that that's okay to do uh, sees that and is emboldened, Paul says, to go ahead and do the same thing. The problem is that their conscience can't, uh, can't bear that so that we who are strong in the faith, we're fine, we're exercising our liberty and we're, we're doing okay before God. In the meantime, the weaker brother is emulating us and he uh, has offended his own conscience and whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So we don't want to cause the weaker brother to sin. So that goes a step beyond just tolerating uh, one another and not fighting with one another. That goes toward me changing my behavior, which I know is perfectly fine, but it is a problem for my brother. Therefore, um, it is incumbent on me. Now, Paul says in, in chapter 15, now we go even a step further here. He says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So Paul says, you notice he doesn't say we ought to bear with the infirmities of the weak. That was early in chapter 14. Tolerate one another. Bear with each other. Don't, uh, uh, um, don't be impatient with each other. Here, he's saying we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. So the situation is the weak brother has, the, has that weakness. He's got an area in his life where he doesn't recognize liberty under grace. And that infirmity, that weakness, and that's what an infirmity is, becomes mine to bear. Becomes mine to, to, to uphold uh, my brother. And how do I do that? How do I bear my brother's infirmity? Well, the way that he talked about uh, back in chapter 14, by actually changing my behavior... At least in relation to that brother, for his sake, for for her sake, for their edification, and that's why Paul says uh, in verse two, "Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good uh, unto edification." Again, uh, at the end of coming off of verse one. We then that are weak ought to bear the infirmities, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Come over with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We stopped off in this passage at least once throughout this uh, last chapter in Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. You remember uh, he said last chapter, uh, in chapter 13, owe no man anything but to love one another. That we owe it to one another, to love one another. And that's what ought means. When you say you ought to do something, ought is the past tense of owe. You, are, you, you owe it. To uh, not past tense, it's a it's a it's another tense of the word owe. It's a debt. So Paul says we ought to the strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. We owe it to that weaker brother. 
for love's sake. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, same uh, type of context, verse 23. All things, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but <coughs> all things edify not. That's what he's talking about in Romans, to do all things to edification. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. So that's the idea there. I am uh, I'm getting out of myself here, and I'm and I'm putting myself out for the other uh, for my brother. And what that is, after all, look over in chapter thirteen. You're in First Corinthians, chapter thirteen. What that is is love. I'm going to. I, I have a choice to make. I can either. I can either uh, demand to exercise my liberty whenever, wherever I want. I choose, or I can act in love. First Corinthians chapter thirteen, um, verse four. Verse four. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, and so forth. Charity seeketh not her own. And that's what Paul is, is uh, that's where he's bringing us here back in Romans chapter 15. The whole, the whole idea of this portion of Scripture is the fulfilling of the law. That, that all of that uh, doctrine that Paul gave us in the first half of the book about not being under the law anymore, what that means is that that whole system of operation that, that uh, God put in place under the Mosaic law doesn't, uh, is not in effect anymore because Christ has become the fulfilling of the law and now the righteousness of the law can be fulfilled in us. Not by uh, ordinances and by legalism, but by the indwelling Holy Spirit and by love and by Christ living His life through us. He's fulfilled the law and now He lives in us. That's Paul's point. Love is the fulfilling of the law. So it's not about uh, days and meats and ordinances and, 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 and these kind of things. It's about loving one another. So back in Romans chapter 15, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good, verse 2, to edification. To whose edification? Well, to your neighbor's edification, uh, primarily in the passage. Their, uh, their weakness is not going to, going to be strengthened by me stomping on it. Their weakness is going to be strengthened by me coming alongside and supporting, bearing that infirmity with them. Paul tells the Galatians, uh, bear one another's burdens because one day every man's going to bear his own burden. So now it's for us to bear one another's burdens. So it's for his edification. It's for my edification. Because the more that you and I can step out of ourselves the more we can uh, put our, our thoughts and our energy and our passion into other people, 
which is what love is, the more we are edified, the more my old man dies and my inward man is renewed day by day. So it's for my good, it's for your good, it's for our good to love one another. To not seek my own good ends up being for my good. It's to the edification of the assembly. Because if you've got... uh, if you've got discontent in those kind of situations, then you know what you get. You get, you know, chatter, 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 this one and this one. And you, did, you, did you hear what he did? And did you hear what he said? And I don't think that's right. And, and you get that kind of spirit going on. And, uh, and that's not good for, for, for any church. So it's for the edification of everyone. Let us uh, not seek our own, but let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification in general. That's the result of, uh, of you and I behaving as Paul's calling us to do here. 4, verse 3, Even Christ pleased not Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach Thee fell on Me. So Paul says, he gives us a, a reason now. 4. The reason that we do this is that even Christ. The way he says that is interesting to me. Even Christ. He's comparing Christ to you and me. And he's saying, here you are in a situation where, uh, where you may need to set yourself aside for your, for your brother's sake, for your sister's sake. Well, think about this. Even Christ, who had the right to please Himself. He's God. All things are of Him and through Him and to Him. He, he's the one who has the right to, uh, to, to please Himself. And even Christ pleased not Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach Thee fell on Me. Now, where Paul is quoting, come back to the 69th Psalm, and that's where Paul's quoting from here, and I want you to see this. Psalm 69 is a messianic psalm, and particularly focusing on the crucifixion and the sufferings of Christ. And Paul brings us to this passage. It's not the first time in the book of Romans because the, uh, the blindness passages that we looked at back in Romans chapter 11 that Paul quoted also came out of this passage here in Psalm 69. So Paul's mind is... Uh, he, he'd been studying this passage recently before he wrote Romans, I would, I would presume, because he's pulling verses out of here for, for doctrine and for, for practice and, and, and encouragement, for exhortation. Psalm 69, the, uh, the, the blindness passage is verse 22 and so forth. After verse 21, they gave me gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. That's Christ on the cross. And then let their table be, become a snare and all those verses that we read back in Romans chapter 11. This one is earlier in the passage. If you look at, start verse 4. Psalm 69 verse 4. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty 
Then I restored that which I took not away. And this whole portion of the psalm here is about him being wronged and him giving uh, regardless. O God, Thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from Thee. And this is uh, the Lord becoming a, a curse on that cross. Let not them that wait on Thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Now look what he's thinking. Now you understand that you can, you can come back into these Psalms, uh, Psalm 22 and 69 and so many others, and and get Christ's thoughts as He's hanging on that on that cross. That's what these prophetic utterances are. They are the uh, the, the the mind of Christ as He's going through uh, what He went through there, and as He's being uh, turned into sin. Paul says He He became sin for us. To the point that he says, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hid from thee. Now he's taking them, these sins upon himself. Paul's talking about bearing the infirmities of the weak. So Christ has now taken this sin upon himself. He calls them my sins. Let, and, and in that process, he, here's what, what he's thinking. Let not them that wait on Thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek Thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. He's concerned that the, that the children of God out there, the believers, are going are gonna to be turned away. Because of this, he's concerned that that he's not concerned that the accusations against him were were false. He's concerned that the false accusations against him may ill affect the the brethren. And he's hanging on that cross, and he's become sin, and he's got the wrath of God falling on that, on himself, and he says, "Lord, don't let this poorly affect them." Don't let them be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel, because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame hath covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. For the, by the way, that verse, verse 8 right there proves that Mary had other kids. As a, as a as a side, uh, people will argue with you that that she didn't. Uh, my mother's children, for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. We know that the Lord quoted that when He uh, purged the temple, threw all the money changers out, and flipped over the tables and so forth. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. The sin, now this is not just. I'm, Christ is taking uh, reproach against Himself. He says the reproaches of them that reproach Thee, God, that blaspheme God, that sinned against God, they've fallen on Me. Now this is the passage that Paul brings us to when he says, uh, 
when he gives us the example for how for the mind that we're to take in bearing the infirmities of the weaker brethren let it fall on me and whatever I do don't let it be a stumbling block to them the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me I, when I wept and chastened my soul with fasting that was to my reproach I made sackcloth also my garment and I became a proverb to them and he, and he goes on to talk about the, uh, the, the suffering that he went through uh, wrongfully and for the sake of the brethren so Paul calls us to this passage Christ hanging on the cross having become sin and his attitude in that experience toward the children of God. And Paul says, look at that passage and get some idea of what, of what you're called to. Back in Romans chapter 15. That's why he says, even Christ. So, what situation am I going to find myself in where I can say, you know what, this is just not tolerable. This isn't fair. I mean, I can only take so much. What, wh- how far am I going to be pushed? How far am I going to be wronged to where I can say, okay, it's enough. All i got to do is look at Christ because you're never going to become sin for the rest of the world and be asked to take it. And Christ did. And we're in Him. Back in Romans chapter 15, for verse 3, For even Christ pleased not Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached Thee fell on Me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So Paul says, well, number one, he says, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. And Paul says that on more than one occasion. And he said it already a few times just here in the book of Romans. And he says it over and over again. And Paul's not the only Bible writer that attests to the uh, inspiration and profitability of the rest of the Scriptures. But Paul, the way that Paul says it, the things that are written before time were written for our learning. Well, who wouldn't know that? Well, I'll tell you who wouldn't know that. Someone who thinks that only the Pauline Scriptures are the profitable ones. That's one person who wouldn't know that. I know folks who wouldn't know that. And, uh, and it's, it, personally, it's one of my uh, pet peeves in the, uh, in, the, in the great and blessed circles that, that we find ourselves in that someone would actually reprove someone for taking a for 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 taking a encouragement from a scripture that that wasn't Pauline I've heard that happen um so Paul the way he says it is not just all scripture is given by inspiration he says that but he also says that it's profitable for doctrine 
You know, we say and I say. I'll get up here and say, don't be going into the other scriptures for your doctrine. Now, we know what we mean by that. But Paul doesn't say that. Paul says the other scriptures are given by inspiration of God and they're profitable for doctrine. Now, as long as that doctrine is in accord with Paul's revelation, we'll see that when we get into chapter 16 in Romans, and we know that we can't just go anywhere and pull instruction out of the Scripture. It's also Paul who tells us to rightly divide. But the idea that the, the other Scriptures are, are not to be taken personally, that is not a Pauline idea. Not at all. The, the, the things that were written before time were written for our learning. So that's one thing. But why do we learn? Just so we can know what the Old Testament says? No, we learn that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Through patience and comfort of the Scriptures. He's talking about taking wrong in this passage. And if you're going to... He's talking about bearing the infirmities of someone else. That means that you're being put out one way or another. You're not being allowed to express your liberty in its, in its full glory. You have to, you have to uh, deny yourself. And what that takes is it takes patience. And it takes uh, in that patience and in that long-suffering comfort and some kind of encouragement. And the encouragement and the comfort that comes comes in the form of hope. I'm looking forward, not just to glory and to the judgment seat and all of that. There's that. There's always that. But I'm looking forward to that edification that he's talking about. I'm looking forward to, to, seeing, the, to seeing the fruit of my long-suffering and yours. We, we look forward to, to tomorrow and to next week coming together and seeing the, 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 the church bettered and edified and seeing that weaker brother, that weaker sister just a little bit stronger, a little bit built up. And we, and we come back and back and again and again and we wait and we suffer and we bear. And with patience and comfort of the Scriptures, knowing that Christ went through far more than we'll be called to do and to look around and see the fruit of His work and to know that He now lives His life through me. I can hope not just for you know the, the sweet by and by, but for next week and for next year and to see the, to see the fruit of our labor. So that, that comfort... And that patience and that hope, Paul says, comes to us from the things that were written aforetime in addition to the Pauline epistles. So I can take that stuff personally. I can go back to Psalm 69 and say, Christ did that. Christ is in me. Now I'm called to do that. Just like I know not to go back to Leviticus and say, Moses sacrificed a bull, and I can sacrifice a bull too. Right? We all know that because we're the stronger brethren. Right? Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now, the God of patience and consolation... 
same words, patience and comfort of the Scriptures, the God of patience and consolation, grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Come with me to Philippians chapter 2. Grant you to be like the God of all patience and, and consolation. So it's God who's going to uh, who's going to encourage us to edify and suffer with and bear uh, each other's weaknesses. And, and may I say to you that there is no such thing as a perfectly strong brother. We've all got our faults, don't we? We've all got our weaknesses. We've all got our places where we. You know the, the the gears. You know, for the most part, they mesh okay. But there's a burr on one tooth, and there's a chip on the other, and sometimes they grind. You know, and 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 this is what we do. And and each one of us is imperfect. So all of us, while we we may not be a weak person, we have weaknesses, and and it's the same. Uh, it's the same calling to bear with one another's. Uh, idiosyncrasies and the things that we do that that uh, you know just make the gears rub the wrong way sometimes Philippians uh, chapter 2 but he says to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus you know Paul calls us to be like Philippians here especially uh, be of one mind is the theme throughout this book of Philippians it's all about the mind uh, and, and how the Christian mind ought to be and there's unity and there, there's oneness here but it's not good to be uh, to say well I hate him and he hates me so we're like minded toward one another so that's where, where we need to be no be like minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus now what does that mean well here Philippians in chapter 2 Verse 2, Paul says, well, get verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, there's that word, any comfort of love, there's that word, we've seen both of those in, in Romans 15, in those two verses. If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded. There it is again. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, don't, uh, through anger or pride, fighting or boasting, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. And that's that idea of don't please ourselves, but do what we do to, to, to edify and to please the other. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. There's that again. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. See, this is now being like-minded according to Christ. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, that's why Paul can can send us back to Psalm 69 with Christ 
hanging on that cross, being in the process of being crucified, and his thought process as he's hanging there, and Paul can say, look at that and take that for yourself. That's who you need to be. Here he says, again, let this mind be in you. What mind? The mind that, that allowed uh, Jesus to go to Calvary and to be subject to death because that's what you and I are doing. Every time I step out of myself for the sake of someone else, I am dying. My old man, I am allowing my old man to die. And that's what this Christian life is all about. The outward man perishing, the inward man being renewed day by day. So the, uh, the, the suffering of Christ is manifest in us because He suffered for love. And that's what you and I are called to do. He became obedient. He, he was God. He, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he may, see, that's that even Christ that he tells us in, in Romans 15. He makes himself of no reputation. So my reputation means nothing when it comes to the edification of the brethren. If it, if it needs to take a hit, Paul says, being defamed, we entreat. Please don't do that. That's Paul's response to that. That's what Christ did. They, they, they accused him falsely. He didn't utter a word. I could learn that lesson myself. I can learn all of these lessons. Made himself of no reputation. And, and he was God. Talk about reputation. And, looked, and took upon him the form of a servant. See, that's that, let every man esteem other better than themselves. You know a master-servant are both human beings and, and no one is superior in their person to the other. But the master is better than the servant in the relationship, in the administration of the thing. And he says Christ became a servant. And we're called to become servants to all. Submit one to another, Paul says and was made in the likeness of men and what a humiliation for for God and he being found in fashion as a man he doesn't stop there but he humbled himself after he did all of that he looked around and he said okay time to humble myself after he stepped out of heaven's glory and became a man and became a servant he said, okay, now what can I do to humble myself? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. See, he became a servant to other men, but he didn't just become a servant to other men. He became obedient to death. He allowed death to be his master. He submitted himself. He subjected himself to death. All the while remembering, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He allowed, he became obedient unto death. Here's an opportunity for me to die, Lord. Thank you for it. I get, I get to bear my brother's infirmity here. 
I get to I get to not please myself, but please him, her, for their edification and for my own. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to die daily. That's what the Christian life is all about. Even the death of the cross, so it wasn't the pleasant, he didn't uh, die in his sleep. And then, of course, the hope, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and that goes on. And Paul says in verse 12, Wherefore, as you have always obeyed, keep obeying with fear and trembling. So that's the idea back in, in Romans chapter 15. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And Paul says we have the mind of Christ. So this is not, he's not asking us to do something that's, uh, that's not possible to do. This is a blessed uh, enablement that the Holy Spirit gives to each and every one of us. An opportunity. Romans chapter 15, <clears throat> verse 5 again, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. So everybody in the assembly has the same, uh, gets the same attitude of, uh, uh, of preference from me as a saint. From you, nobody. We we do everything without partiality. We're of the same mind, one toward another. Even you know, some somebody I might like uh, some more, like less. It doesn't. None of that has anything to do with any of this. We love one another the same way as Christ does. That, verse 6, you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I say to you that the edification of the assembly is, uh, is in question here. We're to be like-minded one toward another. I take it on as an individual member of this congregation to be of this mind toward every other member. And every other member is doing the same thing. So that now we're all like-minded toward one another so that with one mind and one mouth, the, the result and the end and the purpose of it is that we, are in our unity, can worship and glorify God. Now we're functioning as a, as a good, healthy, mature, working uh, church assembly. We, we come here and we see it happen Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. Do, do you understand? I know sometimes I have to remind myself of the, of the, of the magnitude of what we're doing here. That's, that's why for, for me personally, I mean, there's got to be a tornado about to, to rip the roof off of the place before I don't want to come here. Because, you know, we get to do this twice a week. And this, what we're doing here tonight and what we do here every time we come together has eternal consequences. And we come together with one mind and one mouth and glorify God. God is glorified because of what we're doing right here, right now, tonight. That's why I say to you, this is a privilege, a blessed privilege that we have given to us by God through our Savior. 
Wherefore, verse 7, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us, and the purpose again, to the glory of God. So Christ is our example in His actions and in His purpose. He received us when we were all good little boys and girls and never did anything wrong? No. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies, He reconciled us to God by His own death. So as Christ received you, so do we receive one another and all to the glory of God. That's our, that's our goal. That's our purpose. That's our blessed privilege. And we'll pick up verse 8 next time. Do you have a question?